Podcast 020, 30 Tinkers in 30 Minutes. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. Order thing on this, and look, now I'm making a podcast. Everybody say hi to the pod people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, there's, uh, scroll down a little bit. Uh, this is going to be difficult for you, Paul. I won't be able to do that. And... Wait, 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 stop! Permaculture Tinkerer's presentation. Oh. So we're in Tacoma, and now Kelda invited me out. Uh, what? What? Uh, what? Just keep talking. Permaculture Tinkerer's presentation. I know. I wanted the one about moving a lot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You wanted to see a different one? No. So, uh, Kelda, will you be my scroller? I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so uh, we're going to start off. Here's here's this. Uh, okay, so first of all, uh, in the permaculture world, there's a lot of really <laughs> lovely Zen people who uh, come out and present stuff, and you've, you've just seen a bunch of really lovely, nice people uh, presenting uh, today, and, and I've got lots of, I've got so many, I want to talk to these guys about so many different things, I'm just so excited about the people who are here, and so now the, the, the part of the presentation where the lovely, nice people, that part's over. <laughs> now you got me, and, and you're soon going to find out why I usually don't get invited to events like this. Um, I want to start here. Without deviation from the norm, progress is not possible. I'm not a big fan of Frank Zappa's music, and um, I, I do think what he named his children was really funny. Uh, uh, but this is like the only quote he has that I like, and it's like, man, this quote just really says it all. And the important word is deviation. I mean, really, does anybody here believe that this statement is not true? This is like not an obviously true thing. I mean, you know, how can you move forward unless you deviate from the norm? So, so th- does that not mean that anybody who does this is a deviant? <laughs> <laughs> so, I will be uh, the primary deviant at the front of the room today. Um, go ahead and scroll down, Kelda. Let's, let's move on. Now, Kelda contacted me and said, "Hey, can you give a half hour pre- or can you give a presentation on rocket mass heaters?" Oh, sure. I've got a two-hour thing ready to go. Anytime, that'd be easy. And she's like, no, 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 you got a half an hour. Oh, well, okay. And she says, it's about tinkering stuff. And I, and I said, well, you know, as long as I'm shrinking it down, maybe I should squeeze in something about Wafati, uh, this, this structure where you don't have to um, heat it at all, you know, because rocket mass heaters, this is their whole thing is how efficiently they can heat a house. And next thing you know, I said, well, hey, I've got the idea. I can present five things. I'll give them five minutes each. And so Kelly's like, yeah, yeah, fine, whatever. And uh, <laughs> so then two days ago, um, I'm, I'm drinking from one of the Permies mugs, and it's got like little things written all over, all these obnoxious little things on it. And um, I thought, you know what I could do? I bet I could do 30 things in 30 minutes. <laughs> I bet. And I didn't tell Kelda. <laughs> this is the first she's heard of it. Uh, all right. You better start scrolling, Kelda. Okay, here we go. Rock. All right, so I put this in a thread at Permi, so you can all go there and look it up. Okay. Oh, by the way, for those of you that don't know, because it turns out damn near all of you don't know, I have the largest permaculture site in the world. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's awesome being me. <laughs> Who are you? 
In 30 minutes, you'll find out. Okay, so scroll up this a little bit. So we're going to see this rocket mass heater is the first thing we're going to try and talk about. The idea is, is that you can build this contraption and you can heat your home. We can heat. What? Yeah. Look, here's a contraption right here. And it's called the school thing. You can see a little bit. But the, typically what they have is that they have uh, what's called the heat riser. There's a thermal mass. And then here's where you burn your wood. This little teeny tiny thing is where your wood goes in and it burns. And so far, the people that have put these in their home and who have replaced their conventional wood stove with one of these are able to heat their homes with 80% to 90% less wood. Whoa. That's a lot. And the fun part is, is when some Somebody in the audience goes, hey, hey, I've got a 75% efficient wood stove. You can't possibly heat a home that efficiently. You can't use, I mean, there's, there's the math doesn't work out. Well, guess what? You've been a sucker to bad math. <laughs> really, they've messed with the math to tell you that supposedly 75% efficient wood stove is 75% efficient in a lab, plus with a fudge factor of 16% that the government allows, because you've got to have some of that heat go up the chimney to move the smoke out. Is that so, just a 50-gallon drum? That is, no, no. No, this is superior. This is a 55-gallon drop. <laughs> you said 50. I don't know where you get those drums, those inferior 50-gallon drums. Like a basic metal 55-gallon Right. Now, some people are not so big into the 55-gallon drum look, and we've been working on some new aesthetics for the rocket mass heater world. So here's, here's my drawing. You can tell that I work part-time as an artist, right? So the drum is here. Inside the drum is an insulated heat riser. So what happens is that since it's insulated, it gets freaky hot. So the fire actually burns here, and the fire miraculously burns sideways. And that's because of earlier we were hearing about convective heat. Heat rises. It gets so hot in here, it's rising, and it makes it rocking sound. And it's pulling up there so hard, it sucks the air inside. The fire does not burn up. You don't have smoke coming out of here. It goes sideways, comes up here. It burns so completely that what you end up over here is steam and CO2. So I've got a video that I put up recently where it had a woman sitting there with her face in the exhaust. What do you smell? Well, it doesn't, it's not smoke, but it smells like smoke. And you can feel the moisture on your face. That's the steam. But the other thing is, is you'll notice how her, her, the skin on her face isn't peeling off. That's because what comes out is typically about 100 degrees. Whereas when you've got a conventional wood stove, what's coming out of the roof is typically 300 to 600 degrees. You know, that temperature that could peel the skin off of your face. That's the heat that's leaving your home. This is the trick, is that you keep the heat inside. All right. I've got a two-hour presentation on this. I, I did a two-and-a-half-hour podcast not long ago with uh, Ernie and Erica, the premier rocket mass heater folk. Uh, are they teaching a workshop next weekend? Uh, Ernie and Erica are? Oh, awesome. Awesome. You guys should sign up for that. They are the best. It's a rare opportunity. They are way, I mean, Ernie's built over 700 rocket mass heaters, and really, it gives you, I mean, you can buy the book that was shown earlier, but really, to take the, the workshop from them is, is the way to go. Wafati. So this is an acronym that I made up. I am just that arrogant and obnoxious that I make up words. 
<laughs> and so in this particular case, it's sort of acronymish. The W is for woodland, so this is something you would build in a woodland using woodland materials. The O is based on Mike Ayler's work, and I know uh, that actually begins with the letter O, O-E-H-L-E-R, Ayler. Uh, and so it's, it's like 80% of the Wafati design is based on his work. And, I'll, and I'm going to talk about some of his work here in a little bit. The ATI is annualized thermal inertia. Earlier we heard about a thermal flywheel effect. And so this is, uh, this, that's what the ATI is all about. So you're able to have a home, and this looks like a Wafati, but this isn't exactly a Wafati. Freaky cheap. Oh, good catch. <laughs> the F is for freaky cheap. You could build the shell of a wafati, which we'll see down here. Uh, you can build the shell, uh, you, provided that you're using materials from your own stuff, you can use, uh, build the shell for about 200 bucks. Does that sound freaky cheap enough? you got to know how to build it. Well, there, you know, Ayler's book goes into a lot of detail, and, it's, and the great thing is, as much like Cobb, very easy for a beginner, very easy. Unlike Cobb, very fast. So Cobb is such a beautiful, wonderful thing, and we'll talk more about Cobb in a while. But this, this is going to be, this is traditionally, I mean, one of the things is, is that when you start exploring straw bale and Cobb and some of the other eco-building structures, you've got to think, how much time does it take? Well, compared to a conventional home, the materials for a Cobb structure are typically 10 times cheaper. But then it also takes about 4 to 10 times longer to build. So if you actually pay for the labor, then it's like, that's not going to work out. There's a gallon up in the east side, east of Seattle area, build a, a cob home that's like a zero bedroom home. It's got like a loft in it. I believe it was, uh, the final bill is $300,000 for a teeny tiny cob home because she paid for the labor. So um, this is like the smallest possible wafati. This would be the uphill side here and this would be the downhill side here. And um, the idea is, is that uh, uh, they will be covered with a thick layer of um, soil, but it is an above-ground structure. That's the definition of a wafati. It is always, or the homes are always, an above-ground structure. And then um, you're going to have a layer of polyethylene coming way out here, 20 feet, and there's going to be your thermal mass, which is going to provide you the heat in the winter and the cold in the summer. You can use these, to, if you live in a very hot, hot climate, this could be used to keep everything in the house very cool. You can use the cool from the winter and get it to flywheel effectively into the summer, into the hot season. All right. Next up, uh, how I cut 87% off of my electric heat bill. The place that I'm staying in right now has only electric heat. And um, I, because I got so angry about this crap called the fluorescent light bulb and my power company lying to me about how it's going to save me energy, I just had to do this. <laughs> so instead of heating my entire home, I heat just me. And the article goes into a lot of detail about that. But the, the bottom line is I did save 87% off of the electric heat bill. Pardon? A lot less area. <laughs> a lot less area heat. And then earlier we were talking about insulation and and how that's going to save energy. And I've got boy, the, the the rocket mass heater folks have an interesting philosophy. Like, do you want to really live in a ziplock ziplock bag? You know, do you really want to be smelling your farts from yesterday? 
you know, don't you want to have some more air exchange? And then, you know, they, they've got a whole philosophy about how you should be heating yourself, heating uh, the things inside the house instead of trying to heat the air. That's the least efficient way to heat things. Let's scroll, scroll, scroll. Jean Payne method. This is this is a guy who made a pile of sawdust next to his house, put some cow poop in it, threw a tarp over it. He coiled some uh, uh, poly pipe through the middle of it, and that gave him hot water and heat all winter long. And then because there's a tarp over it, any kind of gas that comes off of that stuff as it's breaking down and composting and whatnot, he captured that gas, and he used that gas to not only cook with, but run his truck. <laughs> now, there are a couple of guys in Washington State that I've gone out to visit, and they're doing something like that, and they're running their vehicles on wood gas. Yeah, he's bobbing his head. Oh, hell yeah. So, <laughs> been there. So here's a little video that I made of uh, Brian Kirkvilliet's farm up in Bellingham, Washington, where he did something a little bit similar, but on a really tiny scale. Teeny, tiny little compost pile with a single coil, 10 bucks worth of poly pipe sitting in the middle of it, and he got 500 hot showers out of that. Just a little compost pile. Why poly versus, say, copper? Probably. Probably. Well, probably it was sitting around in the barn with cobwebs yeah, really. on it. <laughs> you know, it could have been a big part of it. You know, copper can cost. But the other thing is, is that he's going to pull it all out later. I mean, a year later, he's going to pull it. He's going to build another compost pile and do it over again. That's why. What? That's why you put a, a easy, something easy to lift off at the end. Easy peasy. So how many yards of um, common wood is that? I have no idea if it's even cow manure. Oh. <laughs> it's stuff. I think it was weeds. Could you use cat shit? You can use cat shit. You bet. Yeah, you want to get take that great big cat and give it a big squeeze. All right. And that's not true, Paul, but the rain barrels, there's emergency reasons to keep rain. So well, look, see, I'm talking about Kelda. <laughs> And she's reading ahead. Yes, okay. So, uh, granted, there are. She, she scrolls off. She doesn't want anybody to see it. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. Whatever, Paul. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, she doesn't want you to see it. This is not true. I, I encourage people to, to harvest water for a lot of reasons. Paul thinks that I'm encouraging just to harvest it for irrigation, but there's a lot of reasons to have water on site. So. There are, it's true. There are a lot of reasons to have uh, to, to, to put water in your barrels. I think that before you start talking about barrels, it's great to talk about getting barrels for your rainwater after you have all your culture stuff in place and after you have all your replacing irrigation with permaculture stuff. So culture is nothing more than taking big chunks of wood and throwing soil on it. This is, this is a video that we did in, uh, this is from a video that we did in Missoula, and there uh, our soil is, is like gravel. It's like big rocks. So uh, what we do is we bring in the soil. But, you know, a lot of people, what they do is they'll dig a trench and then they'll use that soil to throw on top of the wood later. But if you build it six feet tall, you won't have to water anything all summer long. So you, suddenly your need for your rain barrels might just disappear. Um, and plus the flavor of your food will be Awesome. So much better. I mean, if you think about it, have you ever gone out to get blackberries? Because here in Tacoma, blackberries are an issue. Have you ever been out to get blackberries 
and it's like it's been dry, it hasn't rained in a month, and you go out and you taste the blackberries, and all oh, those are so good! Then, there's a great big rainstorm, and it rains and rains and rains and rains and rains, rains, and then you go out to get the blackberries, and you put them in your mouth, and it's like, I can't remember, did I put the berry in my mouth, or did I drink some water? Because I can't taste anything, it has no flavor. So if you can get away with doing hugel culture, and plus a lot of people are hauling their wood off, well stop it. Now you can use the hugel, put the wood in your hugel culture beds on your urban lot, and it'll be awesome and wonderful. And yeah, all right. I would add that traditionally sepulcher also dug out beforehand, so that's also a water holding capacity for holding the big woody debris. Water capacity, it depends. <laughs> depends on the soil. So, so basically, if I talk about thirty different things, we get, we're not going to be able to go into all. I mean, there's going to be some stuff about all of them. What? Which I keep doing. Which I do here. Keep going. So this is like from the mug. See, there's all these obnoxious things written all over it. And I was thinking, yeah, 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 I can get obnoxious stuff off of the mug. <laughs> and actually, I put this whole thing together in under an hour. Keep going. <laughs> all right. Oh, chickens. Raising chickens. So uh, raising, uh, raising chickens where the chickens self-harvest their own feed. And you don't need to clean poop. And you can leave for up to 10 days at a time. I don't know. Does that count as a technology? We're here for technology. Does that count? Okay. I mean, how many people here have chickens? About about a third to a half. And then how many of you are currently cleaning the poop from the chickens? I would think that that would be a, a, a seller item right there. Not having to ever deal with chicken poop again. That sounds like work. Good luck with that. Yeah. I'm, it turns out I'm lazier than you are. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just have the chickens put it. You know, I, wherever I park their portable coop, that's where it's going to be poopy. That's where that's going to be next year's lush spot. Um, cast iron skillets. This is an old technology which has been largely abandoned just through ignorance. People go to use their cast iron skillet, and it always sticks. The eggs always stick. You can't get them not stick. Well, you know what? We solved that. We provided you with an article that tells you how to make it not stick anymore. Now you can have a, a piece of cookware that will last what? longer than you. What? Well, actually, uh, that, 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 that's, that's actually rooted in a, something that's close. It, the key is, is don't make soap in cast iron because the lye will eat off the, the surface. But if you use soap, the oil is already polymerized. You'll be okay. But really, it, it does work better if you don't use soap, but you can. So the next time, I, I keep hearing, about, oh, yes, my roommate used soap in my cast iron, and I killed them, so it'll never happen again. And it's like, oh, it turns out that it would have been okay. You could have just put a new layer of oil on it and everything. And it, so now it's kind of awkward that you killed them and all, but, you know, I'm glad I'm not you. Call the printing system without the cast iron thing. We've made tons of videos about it. There's, a, you know, ad nauseum, there's cast iron. <laughs> <laughs> More than you want. <laughs> okay, diatomaceous earth. Nice. Here's, here's the, yes, isn't that cool? This guy in Australia did that. It turns out the letters D and E occur in Australia, and they're right side up. So, <laughs> so this is this is an edible powder that you're already probably eating that uh, is is deadly to bugs. 
And so, uh, uh, there, and there's nothing better for controlling fleas or bed bugs or most other insects. Nothing better. And the stuff is like freaky cheap. It's like you can get a, a 50 pound sack for 15 bucks. What are you suggesting we do with it? You sprinkle it on. The, okay, so like, well, it depends. The answer is, I mean, of course, we've got tons and tons of information at Permies.com on exactly what to do. But, but you know, as a quick thing, like if you've got bed bugs, which is such a big thing in the East right now, sure to be coming to a bed near you soon. Uh, having a little bit just in the crevices in your room and in places that you never see will generally be a perfect preventative. You'll never get them. And if you have, if they ever do show up, there's other things that you can do. But basically, if it gets on them, it scrapes off their waxy coating, which is how they, because they don't drink water, they kind of take water out of the atmosphere. So then they kind of quickly turn into like bug jerky. Their innards turn into little bug jerky, and, and they kind of die from it. And so it's, it's actually, it's a physical thing. In the meantime, there's people who eat, the people that have the longevity nuts, they'll like eat a third a cup of it a day because they believe it'll help them to live past 100 years. So and there's there's all kinds of stuff about that. So many details. Ah, here, here. My cat's eating it to eliminate her worms. That works great. Animals get rid of worms. And you know that's always been a mystery to me on how that works. But there are a lot of people doing it, and a lot of people having awesome success with it. And so a lot of people uh, where they run these pet shelters and stuff like that, they put a lot of this stuff in there to control fleas. Lawn stuff. Oh, thank you. Damn, you're good. All right. Uh, uh, lawn stuff. Uh, lawn care can be 80% easier, cheaper, and 100% organic with a little knowledge. And then you can mix in all sorts of fun things like crocuses, edibles, ornamentals, um, all sorts of things. You could have a mowable meadow, still meeting all the criteria of whatever neighborhood you're in, and um, uh, uh, be, be safer, cheaper. Your kids can play on your lawn without concern. Your, your pets can go out there without worrying about them dying of some sort of cancer that they got from whatever weed and free feed you were using before. So, uh, th but there's an article about that at richsoil.com. Um, really great way to fly. Richsoil.com. So, so I got I've got a bunch of websites. Permies.com is like the permaculture community. Richsoil.com is where I have my personal rants on things, <laughs> such as lawn care and cast iron and diatomaceous earth and stuff like that. Here's a dude who built this little tiny house for 50 bucks. 50 bucks. And here it is 39 years later. Oh, is the book here? No, that was 30 bucks a lot of years ago. Yes. 39 years ago, 50 bucks. Still, 50 bucks. I mean, what? If, it, if we're talking about inflation, what? Now it'd be $200? <laughs> yeah. $200. That's just like 200000 you know? So, <laughs> the key is he built it for, did I say 50 bucks? 50 bucks. And, and so here he is giving a tour of it. Uh, this is 37 years later, but it's still standing. I'm going to go take more video of it uh, as I go back to my. Montana, um, and uh, uh, the video this time needs to be of the same structure, but the thing is, is from the outside, it's virtually invisible. So this is Mike Ayler. This is the Owen Wafadi. And so this structure is like 80% of what a Wafadi is. And so this is evidence that this, this design can stand the test of time. Where is it called? Up in the northern edge of Idaho, uh, near Bonners Ferry. 
so where it gets it gets damn cold. Yeah. Yeah. So and now here's another one of his structures that he built 32 years ago for fifteen dollars. <laughs> and when I took that video, a family of three had just moved out after living there for a year and a half. So I know tiny homes right now are all the rage. Whenever I put up a video about tiny homes, it gets a skillion views. I put up something about somebody eating dandelions, and it gets like, you know, a thousand views. So um, it, clearly this stuff's of big interest. But, but yeah, this is a teeny tiny little home. <laughs> Here he is again. He's got a greenhouse design with his special greenhouse design, which is kind of like a pit design for a greenhouse. He's able to get tomatoes in December. And if he sealed up all the holes in that thing, he'd be able to have tomatoes all year. But uh, he's, he's got a bunch of math that he put into this particular design, and there's like a big trench where you stand. And that, that like collects the cold, but it goes down deep enough in the earth, it probably warms that cold air and brings it back up. It's an amazing design. Here we built a rocket mass heater in a greenhouse. And so this one's over, this one's in the Puget Sound area, I think it's in Duval. Uh, um, but this one also has a great demonstration of like, right here in the middle, right what he's about to do is he's gonna demonstrate the sideways burn. He built this rocket mass heater core, and he takes this pipe and he puts it down on it, and then you watch the fire, and he builds over on this side, and it burns sideways. And then he picks it up and it stops burning sideways. He puts it back down and it's burning sideways again. Great demonstration in that video. That's Ernie. It's true. That's Ernie's foot. <laughs> a Rumford fireplace. For people that are like, I see, I go to all these farms and gardens and stuff, and they've got like this fire pit outside. I mean, what an awesome thing to do to sit around the fire at night. Um, <laughs> the problem is, is that you get the smoke in your eyes. Use a Rumford design outdoors. So this is an outdoor Rumford. The idea is, is that there's a fire over here and this curved shape behind it. So whoever sitting 20 feet away from that actually feels a lot of the heat. So you make an oval shape for people to sit. The fire's at one end. The smoke goes straight up. Nobody gets smoke in the eyes and everybody's warm and sitting in front of a fire. Is it also getting up those benches? It is. So then if you move around, your butt stays warm. Because <laughs> that spot was getting heated by the fire and then you were blocking the fire with your butt a moment ago. And then you sit over here. Now your butt's getting warmed by the fire. Sort of, kind of, a little bit. <laughs> Anybody recognize this guy? Yeah. Brian Kirkbliet, Inspiration Farm in Bellingham. He's showing off his uh, solar food dehydrator converted from an upright freezer. <clears throat> and uh, we, 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 we joke that it has biotrack because as the sun moves, you, you come by and you move it yourself. A human biological being moves it. <laughs> biotrack! <laughs> All right, so on that mug that I was talking about, one of the things that's on the mug is that it says uh, 2005 calls and they want their cob oven back. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that with rocket stove stuff, things burn so much cleaner now. And so um, a cob oven seam is kind of dirty. And uh, until Ernie got hold of this, so there he is, Ernie. <laughs> and uh, so now he's built a, a double chamber cob oven 
And so this cop oven's got this little bit of a chimney-like thing on it. And look at the flame coming out of that sucker! So he's got it designed so that it burns very cleanly. And then he's, uh, as part of the video, he kind of takes this thing off and puts it back on. And you'll see suddenly it's all smoky, and then he puts the thing back on, and suddenly it's clean. So he does a lot of work in making these things very, very clean. Here's Brian Kirkliet showing off, uh, he shows off two grain threshing designs. So this is number two, you can see here, the first one is like a white plastic bucket, and he's got a drill with some chain stuff on it, and it goes in there. And threshing's a big deal. When you've got small scale stuff that you're doing and you don't own a combine by any chance, threshing can be a hassle. So now Brian Kirkliet's got two solutions for you that make it way, way easier. This is a big leap in homesteading, is being able to have a decent thresher you have to go, don't have to go out there and beat it with sticks the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Here's another one. Convert roadkill to chicken feed with maggots. Yay! All right, there is, an, there is a problem with doing this, and actually using black soldier fly larvae is better, and I'm hoping to make a video about that in a couple of months. But basically the idea is, and this was, I mean, you would think that you'd be standing this close to it and go, but actually, I didn't smell a thing. I didn't, he did a really good system, and there was, um, the chickens were like generally hanging around waiting for the next little tasty treat to fall out. And so uh, um, it worked out, it worked out really well. But there are some concerns with this. We've talked about it at great length on Permies. I think generally you want to go with the black soldier fly larva instead. However, Brian's sticking to this until, you know, we come up with a better system for them. Right, so there, <laughs> so there's like a bit of roadkill or something dead inside of here. <laughs> and then uh, and then the little, little maggots pop out from underneath. And there's a few flies buzzing around the top, going in there laying some eggs oh, to make more maggots. The straw keeps it extra warm. The straw keeps it warm and, and it keeps the funkiness inside and the clean air outside. Uh, because that would be a big issue. I mean, it, it, I, one of my rules for farming is, is if it smells bad, you're doing it wrong. So I'm not going to allow any bad smells on the farm. And I've got a lot of videos about raising pigs where it's like, and how does it smell? It doesn't. See, raising pigs can be done without it stinking. <clears throat> this guy's got a walk-in refrigerator made with a small insulated room and an air conditioner. The air conditioner's over here. <laughs> this contraption here is called a cool bot. It tricks the air conditioner into thinking that it's uh, a, hot, a hot day and it needs to cool things off. And it's apparently a pretty cheap air conditioner. The neat thing is that I made this video and the company that makes this contacted the guy and said because he was in my video that they gave him a lifetime warranty on that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. See, people in my videos sometimes get cool stuff. <laughs> he called that a cheese cave. Apparently that's a big popular thing. Here's Brian showing off his size. This video got 20,000 views in the first three days. People are just bonkers about size. I, I went up there a few days ago and got a new video of him peening the size. You know, it's a special technique for kind of sort of sharpening it, but not really. Uh, but it's something you have to do like every uh, few weeks or so. Um, anyway, so then uh, the, the key is faster, more precise, and safer than a string trimmer.
and cleaner, quieter, lighter, and easier. And so during the video, he talks about, you know, the string trimmer guys going out there and getting slug parts all over their legs and stuff like that. He did this wearing thongs, and a lot of the comments were, he's going to chop off his toes. And the thing is, is how is he going to chop off his toes? The way the thing's rigged up, the blade is a long ways away from you. I mean, you'd have to, like, try to step on it. <laughs> I, it's just not happening. I think, I think oh, the string trimmer is far more dangerous than a scythe. For fun, uh, string trimmer? Sure, man. I mean, would you wrap your legs up on those things? Yeah, I think I think it depends on your kind of fun. I tell you what, wearing a pair of shorts when you use those things. You and me can have a fun off, and I'll have the scythe, and you can have the string trimmer. <laughs> I, I, I'll bet you I draw first blood. <laughs> I guarantee you, wrap your legs up on those, you're going to be alert all day. That's right. That's right. That's right. And whining. <laughs> <laughs> so here we're doing uh, organic flood control with a pile of rocks. And you can all see the pile of sticks. Can anybody tell me how? Well, it probably says it right on there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's the word. Snakes! <laughs> Actually, my next video that I'll be putting out sometime in the next few days is snake porn. I, I, got, a, I got a video of a garter snake, a female going out, and, and then she uh, exudes the scent, and then she has 12 dudes writhing on her. <laughs> and then I put funky music with it. <laughs> And then I twelve dudes. Yeah. What's that? Somebody asked a question. Oh, no, I, I didn't. Uh, somebody needs some dudes. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, so, so moving on along here. Uh, this is the same woman, and uh, this is my big colony collapse disorder video. Colony collapse disorder is not a problem for people who don't abuse their bees. They just don't have it. They, well, there, there is some of it. So the or, people that are doing it organically are still experiencing some loss, but most of the people that are experiencing some loss are, are not doing it as organic. So there's different grades of organic. But in this video, I interviewed uh, her, and we listed 12 things you could do to prevent colony collapse disorder. And then I went and I interviewed a couple of guys that are doing conventional techniques, and of course they're experiencing plenty of colony collapse disorder. Um, and so, and throughout the video, we list 12 different things you can do. I think I mentioned that. But uh, I thought this video was going to go to a million views, like, instantly. Like, it's going to be in the news and stuff like that. And it didn't really go anywhere. But the thing is, is that it's easy to prevent. There's that Vanishing of the Bees movie that came out recently that does a great job of telling you what it is. And basically, they nail it down to, guess what? Insecticides. Right. Yeah, exactly. Duh. <laughs> I mean, uh, bees are insects. What did you think was going to happen? <laughs> Bicycle panniers from kitty litter buckets. I think that I gave you, didn't I give you like 50 buckets once for your project that you did at some park in Seattle? And then you couldn't go, and then you got sick, and then other people had to take the buckets, and they did this. But, hey, look, I got video of it, too. These guys were bicycling across the country. They were on their way to San Francisco, and somebody talked them into going to Missoula, and they realized that Missoula is the coolest city in the world better than Tacoma. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, uh, uh, yeah, there you go. Bicycle panniers from kitty litter buckets. 
Uh, we talked about Cobb building. Here's a, here's a tour of Cobbville. Uh, Ianto Evans, what a brilliant architect. And, and he, he designed these in his heyday. <clears throat> and they are just stunning. A lot of swayback uh, roof designs. And they're all done with um, uh, roundwood. And it's just, it's just a beautiful thing to see. And I got it on video. So uh, uh, definitely worth looking at. If you love Cobb, this is this is, this is oh these are, of course are all uh, uh, tiny uh, tiny homes, and uh, Ianto's book is the hand sculpted house. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Takes a long time to build, but beautiful, and anybody can do it. Here's another tiny house. I cannot disclose its location. I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of places where you go and you build something, and it's like the government can say, no, oh. Yeah. So, so uh, but this one is built for $362, and uh, the tour goes inside and shows you around and whatnot. Obviously, started off with a shack. It's insulated with wool. In fact, that's most of the money was spent on the insulation, wool. I mean, does it get much more natural than wool insulation? And wool insulation... Oregon Shepherd. Oh, good. Damn, you're good. My impression was that they got that pretty locally. And when it comes to eco stuff, I think a great article out there is uh, uh, Art Ludwig's article, Can a 4,000 Square Foot Home Be Green? In which he argues that the greenest 4,000 Square Foot Home is not as green as a conventionally built 2,000 Square Foot Home. What an amazing article and a lot of times how I think a great metric for measuring how eco something is is how cheap it is because a lot of people will build their four hundred thousand um, dollar uh, straw bale home but they had to have that straw bale shipped fifteen hundred miles on a semi truck so um, I, I you know so when we're talking about eco building I like to keep that metric in there and of course I believe you mentioned it and that is that community I mean can a four thousand square foot home be green yes if twelve people are living in it and and now the the square foot uh, you know per person thing is way lower. It's such a I mean that's and and, and uh, <laughs> there's there's a six hour presentation right there. How do you get twenty people to get along in one house? <laughs> and I've got my theories, which are different from Diana Lee Christian's theories. And she and I go round and round on that. And she I I just she's awesome. I love her, and yet we disagree a lot on that. Fukuoka. This dude, what? Is that Art Ludwig article on Fermi's.com? There's a link to it on Fermi's.com. We we uh yeah, we kind of so so when it comes to Art Ludwig, we kind of do a little bit of this, you know. Uh, so we 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 think he's awesome, and we make lots of links to his stuff. Uh, and the Diane Christian is that somewhere in Fermi's? She's been out to Fermi's a couple of times and answered questions from people. But 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 no, she's got her own website now. She has a lot of stuff with eco villages now. I'll imagine that some of the books are here. Probably. Masanobu Fukuoka. He has the, he's in the 95th percentile for rice yield per acre with zero till. Zero. None. Nada. No till. Crushing the myth that organic practices cannot feed the world. Plus, from that exact same acreage, he pulls off a crop of winter barley. 
So while the field next door, the rice field next door to his neighbors is fallow all winter, he's pulling off another crop. Fukuoka's pulling off another crop. So does that mean that he's getting double the food? Yep. So where's this thing about how organic practices cannot feed the world? Like, oh, yeah, if we switch over to organic, three-quarters of the world's population is going to die. If you hear anybody say that, I need you to kick them in the nuts. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's that? If they have. Kick them in the clit. (laughs) (laughs) Damn right. They'll notice, I promise you. (laughs) All right. <laughs> It'll be different. <laughs> You'll be deviating from the norm. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> this woman here with a happy smile, she built an earthworm pig shelter and she feeds them she now feeds her pigs. Now this is this is a little bizarre. Her pigs are free range. So, so, so in fact, part of the video, I've got a video, I'm videoing the chickens, and I say, there's a pig eating my boot. <laughs> so, <laughs> notice how still I'm holding the camera. So, I've got a video of her, and she's like with the pigs, and she says, they're like big weird dogs. <laughs> but anyway, the key is, is that she feeds them like one cup of food. They're, they're like 200-pound hogs. She feeds them one cup of food per day. Other than that, and this is kind of wintertime, I mean, you could, there's, there was snow on the ground. They're on their own. They're, everything else they get, they find. They, they eat less because they're warmer and they don't have to burn through fuel. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, the video goes into a lot of detail. This is this design is based on Sepp Holzer's work. And we'll, we'll give appreciation of Sepp Holzer at the end here. So here's another thing uh, that, they, that that same woman had. I think she was standing there and her fellow standing here. This is his hand right here. But uh, this is an old abandoned refrigerator that they found somewhere. And uh, this blue stuff over here, they've got a spring on their property. And they just took water from the spring and they routed it inside of, of this. They call it the cool box. Basically, it's a refrigerator that uses no power whatsoever. Cool, exactly. This is uh, out at um, Vashon Island. They built a home out of a $1,700 insulated shipping container. Um, and this is their sink. <laughs> of course, if you watch the video, you can get a bigger tour. <laughs> ah, the mighty, the glorious, the amazing Sepulcher. Of all the people in all the world, nobody is doing more, in my opinion, to save the world than this guy in Austria, Sepulcher. This... Now, I've got tons and tons and tons of stuff about Sepp Holzer, and, and, he, and he's just, the videos are amazing. Um, Kelda hosted him for a workshop on ponds and aquaculture a while back. And he's coming to Montana in a year. And, uh, but anyway, one of the problems we all struggle with is, like, we go out and we plant baby fruit trees or something like that, and the deer think that they're candy and eat them all up. Or the bowls do. So Sepp, 
Oh, the, <laughs> the neighbors? The beavers. The beavers or the beavers. The <laughs> so scroll just a little bit more. This is this is the recipe for how do you how do you make Sepholzer's bone sauce? And so basically, you've got two cast iron pots. You've got uh, some uh, some steel mesh here, and you got a bunch of bones in here. This is the guy that pissed me off. Uh, you put some dirt around it, some clay around it, some dirt, and build a fire on top. And then when it's all done, when the fire's out, you harvest this stuff at the bottom, and that's the bone sauce. Beware, it might smell bad. But you put this on your trees, it'll last for 10 years or more. It'll keep everything from touching it. Look, it's me and Sep. This is on his last day in the United States, and you could tell that his patience is wearing thin with me. <laughs> we had a great time, though. We always had this thing where we did this. We go, so as we would both enter the same room, we'd go, <laughs> and he's got these hands. I mean, I have massive giant hands, but I'm a giant guy. He has these massive giant hands. So we do this thing where we do the handshake. And you... He almost always wins. He's, he's a tough guy. All right. Yes, question. Back here, that bone stuff. Where do you put that? I mean, do you put it all the way up and down the trunk? I think you just need to put it. I think you just need Oh, it goes on the trunk. Uh-huh. You put it on the trunk. And I think I think part of it is is that it's got this particular odor that while it smells damn nasty to us in the concentrate, it'll probably go away pretty quick. And then it'll be there for a long, long time. And I think any other animal gets close to it and is like, I am not going to ever touch that. <laughs> so apparently it's powerfully effective. Is the, are the bones, is the bone residue still up above? Is there a leftover bone there? Boy, that's a great question. I've never made the sauce myself. I want bone stuff to experiment with uh, as additives. So when I saw Brian Kirkbliad a few days ago, he said, oh, I have all the bones I set aside, and I need, like, this other cast iron pot, and then I'm going to make it because I need it. Because, um, of course, he's doing that thing where he's putting fence around everything, and, man, what a pain in the ass that is. So, um, uh, uh, I don't think it does. I mean, I imagine it could. I mean, you want, I think you want bigger bones. I mean, you want bones that aren't going to fall through the, the metal grate. So, I think that's the how-to in English that just came out, available on Amazon. Oh, not only does he have it, but I got mine six weeks before the rest of you because I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> and whoever sent it to me thought so too. <laughs> yes. I'm wondering if it would keep. Uh, you know, I have an urban lot, and there's the neighbors' cats. My cats stay indoors, but their, you know, their cats. Won't yes, cat bones should work okay. <laughs> oh no, cats. As far as keeping cats away, I'm not sure what the answer is to that. Okay, I probably, if I run up past my time, I think for 30 minutes, that was probably. You did really, really well. I just want to get Giants to time to be so thank you. And, uh, and, and hopefully you'll have.
anything else that people can keep asking you questions? Oh. Uh, Johnny's going to come to talk to you about it. Can we go for 10 minutes? Is that list that you just made up for us today? This is all yeah, straight to the website. I, I made it today. It's on the website right now at permies.com. So, if you can't find it, you're too stupid and I don't want you reading it anyway. <laughs> this is going to be available as a podcast. It's true. In fact, uh, let's have to say the thing at the end. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about tinkering, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.